Hello and welcome to a highly emotional final episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly for the season. Gavin Casey here in studio, joined as always by Mr. Murray Kinsella of the 42. How are you, Murray? I'm great, Gav. How are you? Excellent. Thank you very much. Ryan Bailey's on the beach. He is. Andy Dunn, nowhere to be seen, doesn't do Mondays. Everyone's on holidays. Birch, God only knows, <laughs> which means we are joined for a very long-awaited... Drum roll, please. ...podcast <laughs> debut for Sean Farrell of the 42. How are you, Sean? Thanks very much, Gav. Thanks for having me. No, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure so far, anyway, the first couple of minutes, <laughs> and uh, we look forward to the next 55 or so. I'm saying out there, I'm a bit like the A-team when there's absolutely no one else you can call. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm on the end of the line. No, I think that's, I think that's, I think you're a finisher. You're not, you're not a substitute, you're a finisher. End of the season, comes in, gets the job done, gets us over the line. Um, uh, coming up on the show, we'll be looking back on Leinster Glasgow and a, a very important and superb victory, really, for Leinster in the end as they salvaged their season. If you were to go off some of the comments <laughs> we got in last week's podcast, would it have been a travesty if they'd lost? Uh, we'll be looking back on the season, generally speaking, and asking and answering where does each province need to improve? We'll also turn our eyes slightly towards the World Cup and look at a couple of squad selection dilemmas there. Uh, and then we'll be outie for the summer. So uh, we'll kick off, gentlemen. Murray, you were in Celtic Park. You didn't get any culture shock or anything like that. Soccer <laughs> stadium. It looked a, a very impressive setup. You seem to be enjoying it on social media anyway. I loved it. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, kind of like uh, being in St. James's Park there recently as well. It's nice to get a change of scene and see some pretty classic football stadiums. It's nice and old school in, in Celtic Park. Even like really old kind of signposts and everything. Um, and it was kind of a different vibe to it, a lot of booing which I actually enjoyed I know some people didn't and a lot of people think it has no place in rugby or whatever but um, I really enjoyed it thought it really added to the, the sense of occasion and Leinster did a brilliant job to come through away from home and, and win that final Yeah Sean were you impressed by Leinster's resolve given what had happened a fortnight before? Resolve, resilience yeah they're just uh, yeah they're incredibly impressive side and they just keep doing this they they I think the difference was that final nous they had, they, they were able to, how many times did they go through 20 phases, 17, 18, 19 phases, just to suck the life out of whatever momentum Glasgow were trying to build. It was, uh, yeah, it was incredibly impressive yet again from the evil empire in Leinster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a strangled job in the end, like almost death by asphyxiation, particularly I think that second half defensive front. Obviously Glasgow came within a whisker in the end, but they left themselves with the fairly significant uh, mountain to climb at that point. What was the most impressive aspect of Leinster's performance for you, Murray? I really thought the third quarter was absolutely brilliant. The way they controlled um, and strangled Glasgow. I think Warriors will definitely have big regrets about this. The obvious one is Adam Hastings not passing the ball that time um, in the first half, 21st minute. They've Leinster have managed to prevent a try down the left-hand side, a brilliant bit of defence, which was um, kind of the tail of the day for them. They put a lot of focus on that last week, shutting down Glasgow Warriors. They knew the weather wasn't going to be great and their defence, I thought, was just phenomenal throughout, especially just before half-time. They shut that out. But Colstein makes a, a rare enough breakthrough, Gary Ringrose, you remember down the left, and they do a superb job. Larmer just sits off uh, and makes a low tackle on DTH van der Merwe. Then Ringrose comes in and absolutely thumps him on the upper body. The really important guy actually was Keen Healy, who's come from the very far side of the pitch after sacking them all really well. He His work rate was phenomenal. Gets across the pitch. And even though Ringrose and Larmer have actually grounded van der Merwe, he probably would be able to throw himself over the line, but for Healy being there just to pin him onto the ground. It was an absolutely brilliant bit of defending. But eventually they work it off to the right-hand side and... Um, Hastings should really just pass the ball and, and it's a definite try I think they'll have big regrets about that because they could have gone to 14-5 in front and then suddenly it's Leinster chasing the game Leinster got into the perfect position at half time 15-10 up and the, the third quarter they just kicked really cleverly you, you think of McGrath going slightly longer with the box kick rather than contestable which they'd done really well in the first half I thought Larmer was impressive in, in chasing those you think of Robbie Henshaw grubbing down the right hand side into touch Larmer as well had two lovely kicks up the right hand side um, just to keep them pinned back into their 22 and, and the most obvious one then was Sexton's grubber when, they were, when Glasgow went down to 14 men sticks it in behind just in front of the try line brilliant kick and then Carney and, and Fardy follow up and they thump Tommy Seymour Glasgow try to run it out but James Ryan is there just to smother Callum Gibbons and they get that 5 metre scrum I was kind of surprised they didn't take the points then at that stage you can probably understand it 
particularly more in hindsight, just when you're in the sense of the game, I was like, what are they doing? Get 11 points in front, in the rain, away from home. Glasgow aren't going to be able to score tries. But I guess their thinking was, Glasgow are missing it back. We're five metres out. We back ourselves to be clinical enough to to finish here or even get a scrum penalty try or something like that. You know, they've got this very aggressive attacking mindset. And when that didn't go to plan, then you had the doubts um, and Glasgow got a big momentum boost off a, off a scrum penalty themselves there. And then Rob Carney goes up in the air and kind of time slows down, honestly, with those aerial challenges, it really does. And then suddenly the game was in the balance. So um, I guess you probably talk a bit more about that decision around that, but um, I thought there were so many good parts of Leinster's game, that defence, that pressurising, uh, attacking game. And also a bit of, there was a bit of attack in there. Some of the counter was lovely. I thought Tyke Furlong's 20-metre pass off his right-hand side was my highlight Gorgeous. of the day. Mm. On turnover, like beautiful... And even you think of Gary Ringrose and, and James Lowe breaking away on, on counter-attack as well. There was bits and pieces there, but yeah, muscular quality was really the story of the day. It was that Ringrose hit on, on Van der Merve, it really told a, a tale because everything, even what Leinster created was through their defence, be it mm. be it the try immediately after the first one to hit back with Ringrose's try. Uh, I think Ringrose and Henshaw, they had to go at... at holding up someone that I think Henshaw got over the ball really slowed it up created a, a scrappy ruck and from then Sexton hacks clear and Ringrose makes that break with low yeah. and that leads to, to, to Stein's yellow card and that uh, I think <laughs> on the replay I was watching it this morning Leo was actually after they go for the corner you can see Leo Marden points points <laughs> yeah. in, into, into his microphone so on the second go they, uh, they, got the, yeah. they got the penalty off and he would have said that afterwards I think Leo Probably should have taken the points there, but it it was just it was a riveting defensive performance. Obviously, the rain was going to make it uh, slightly tighter, but you could see the signs of Leinster having put in all that effort. You know, they played thirteen in the front line when they were out to pitch, had two covering really well in the backfield. They did get broken at times, but their scramble was just brilliant. And as you say, like turning defense into points and being able to spring into counterattack was really impressive. I thought it was a really enjoyable final as well. A record crowd, really good for the Pro Fourteen. It felt like a big European match, almost a Champions Cup game. Um, and that was a real positive as well. But Leinster, Leinster are just such an impressive beast, aren't they? Absolutely. Now, you alluded to it, and I think we should talk about the uh, Rob Kearney incident without, um, hopefully without breaking any laws or uh, <laughs> <laughs> or finishing the season with the wrong kind of bang for ourselves. Um, okay, uh, firstly, just in a very general sense, what was your initial impression of it Murray in the stadium and did that initial impression change either way when you saw replays yeah I my initial impression was oh he's landed on his side there and think there's going to be a yellow card then I saw the replay and got a closer view of Carney's actions and I felt oh this is going to be a red and I feel even more strongly that way I haven't had a, a couple more replays this the the replay screens and the big wide screens in the stadium are up really high so it actually was tough enough for referees and, and assistant refs, as well as media, poor us. Mm. Uh, but it was hard to actually see real detail in it. Um, that was one of the tricky parts of it. And there was no actual um, TV screens in the, in the media box either. So I didn't get a great view of it. So I, I apologise if my match report was not as strong as it should be on that. But uh, I thought it was a definite red card. Johnny? Yeah, definite red. I don't think... Um, I think it was, was Tyke Furlong even suggesting that it might have been a contentious decision on the flight on the way home. Uh, when he, I think he put up a poll on uh, on Instagram. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what what the results of it were. But uh, yeah, no, definitely red. And I think the more the more you see it, the uglier it gets. Um, yeah, it's just hopefully Stuart Hogg's okay. And it, it, hopefully, it, I mean, we say just a concussion. These things have lasting effects and uh, don't think we should um, minimise them. Speaking speaking now but uh, yeah we shouldn't have to break a player's bone or a, a shoulder blade before it's uh, deemed a red card mm, I yeah. think Nigel Owens reflection on it will feel it's a red like the law the actual law 10.4 I think it is a red card is when it's a not a fair challenge with no contest whilst being reckless or deliberate foul play action and the player lands in a dangerous position so like you look at Rob Carney and he's really in no position to contest the ball Um it's not really a fair challenge. He completely takes out his, his lower body. Um, he's obviously tracking the ball with, with his eyes, but that's not referencing the law. Not deliberate foul play, but like Stuart Hogg lands in such a dangerous position. Um, I thought the replay showed 
clearly enough that his head does bang off the ground. Did it? I, I, for me, it was show, he landed on the shoulder, yeah. but I, I don't think you should be judging it on whether he lands on his head, on or, his not. head or not. We've, yeah, we've had a, a conversation point, yeah. about that earlier in the season. Pro- yeah. I don't even know if it was on air or not, Murray, but what, like, I'm often curious as to what difference it makes where a player lands if they're out of control in the air. It's not as if he lands on his shoulder, say he lands on his shoulder, it's not as if he does that because Rob Kearney has exerted any control that would dictate that he lands on his shoulder. You know, like the challenge is made and it's, it's a lottery at that point where the guy lands. So yeah, I don't know why that comes into it. It's physics, how much you spin. Exactly. Yeah, yeah um, I, think it, I think it's easier for referees when they have that kind of, you've seen the new framework for high tax and shoulder charges. When they have a clearly defined process in their minds, it's easier for them because obviously mm-hmm. it's a very gray area. Or, uh, like there's a lot of people who, do, who don't think it is a red card. You know, we all have our own different opinions on this. So for referees, I think it's nice for them to have those bang, 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 I have this, I have this, I have this, that's a red card. Um, I actually did think his head made contact with the ground and it was just, it was a, look, it was a dangerous position regardless of where he lands, really dangerous position without a fair contest or a fair challenge. I think it was a red card and it's interesting. It would be, it would be great to see an alternate universe where he got red carded to see how it affected the game because, you know, you talk about Carney only came back on for the final four minutes um, and in that period, Glasgow were deep in their own half but like the momentum boost of a red card is huge as well it's a massive lift of belief the crowd is suddenly even more um more worked up as well so it really could have swung it we don't know for sure now and obviously referees make mistakes as well but yeah i think it was um it was tough on glasgow yeah it's a big if and scottish listeners or several thousand of them won't thank me for it but <laughs> a red card can be a galvanizing moment for the team that's reduced to 14 as well and yeah. with a team as resilient and as mentally strong as leinster it might have equally seen them over the line if yeah. they really had to uh circle and, the wagons and we should also mention fraser brown in the first half again it's a matter of possibly more a matter of opinion on that one as well but that could have been a yellow card he absolutely thumps luke mcgrath from behind obviously it looks like he's or he would argue, you know, it looked like Lou McGraw was going to catch the ball, but it's a pretty vicious hit into an exposed back. He just lost the line out. I think most of you probably understand what he's doing there. Um, and definitely could have been a yellow card. Other referees would have felt, I'm going to just get this out of the game straight away. From what you're saying there about the the, the screens being high up, I mean, Nigel Owens was pretty uh, determined to, to tell his team oh, that I've decided that this is just a penalty. And then just by the question being asked he was saying oh are you saying it should be more TMO says no just have a look at it Nigel has a look at it and uh, stands by his initial decision like it's harder for him to to break down what he's already seen from two metres away that's true the screen's up in the stands that's a good point as well because sometimes the the TMO is probably suggesting to him that I don't agree with your opinion and maybe have a second look at it that's an indirect way of of saying it I think that points to difficulty as well that it is tough to not be the man in the middle and to make that decision to say to the referee, actually, I think you're wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the Lisbon <laughs> Treaty of officiating, really, where <laughs> yeah. somebody arrives at a decision, you're like, mm, you might want to have a look at it again. Um, but Nigel Owens, yeah, stuck to his guns. And I think you're right, Murray, to be fair. If he had it back and had a look at it again, I'm sure he will have changed his mind by now. The screen thing is interesting as well because... It's a soccer stadium and replay screens are not designed in a soccer stadium to be perused by the officials, uh, which is not something that necessarily would have been taken into consideration. Uh, And look, Celtic Park certainly added to the occasion and it was a brilliant occasion uh, with both sets of supporters and players. Um, Just finally to to wrap on Leinster, and we'll be touching upon them again when we're looking at the season, generally speaking, and where each of the provinces can improve in a moment. But do is it too simplistic to say that they righted some wrongs from the European final? Obviously, styles make fights. Glasgow aren't Saracens. But do you feel as though they just got more right on the day, um, specific maybe to their game plan compared to what happened a couple of weeks ago in Newcastle? Yeah, I, do, I definitely don't think Glasgow are really close to Saracens' level of quality. And I felt that... Although some of the Glasgow players were superb, Fagerson and Cummings in particular physically, I felt that Leinster did edge that element of it. Even you look at Keane Healy's try, which was just a phenomenal passage. 17 phases, 
Um, 13 players were ball carriers. 13 players hit rocks. Like some of the numbers were were just incredible. Ruddock had three carries. Furlong, Ryan, Van der Fleer and Fardy all hit six rocks. The work rate was exceptional and even some of the latching skill. You saw Fardy helping Keane Healy over the line. They were able to win those those metres. And, and Glasgow did that at times as well, but I felt Leinster just had too much physical power for them. You saw them all come into it in the second half, especially in that third quarter. Um, and obviously the scrum was a, a really big factor in the game as well. I felt they edged that ball up front and and really that was a, a, a difference maker. Yeah, as I say, I don't think um, the, I don't think Leinster took that much of a step down in the European Cup final. I, I think they were just outplayed. They, were, they made it, Saracens made it impossible for them to impose themselves on the game. And, and against Glasgow, it's 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 a level they're a whole lot more comfortable dominating in as as much as Glasgow improved. You know, Leinster are the team in the Pro 14 that's there to be shot at year after year. Like, I think it's, it's a, that their eighth final in the last 10 years since the since the format changed. That's eight finals, four wins, four losses, uh, a loss to Scarlets in the semi-final eventual champions and it was a Matt O'Connor year when they didn't make it. And uh, it, they are the trendsetters. They are the, the team that's there to be shot at. And Glasgow just didn't manage it this time. The asterisk-laden Matt O'Connor years. <laughs> uh, not to do a Jim White on you, lads, but some breaking news. Uh, Rob Carney, to whom we alluded there in great detail, has signed a new one-year extension with the IRFU. He confirmed yes. it at the launch of the National Dairy Council's Everything starts with milk campaign. Find milk and a new contract. That's great news. Yeah. Find the milk helps your bones and helps your coffers as one well. One year, said, is it? One more year, at least. Yeah, good for But you. one year for now. Yeah, it's a good uh, good news for, for Leinster, Ireland, and uh, bad news for Stuart Hawk. Um, <laughs> no, not necessarily. He was, yeah, Carney was, aside from that challenge, I thought he was excellent again. Yeah. And he's he has been excellent very often this season, and he's 33, and you tend to go, oh, let's write him off, he's an old fella. <clears throat> but he consistently turns up and delivers in those big games when he's picked um, his experience is massive really good leader but I also think he's particularly in, in recent weeks he's shown that he can when he's athletic at his best also be a good attacking player you think of his line break against mm-hmm. Arsons um, and then even look at his offload we talked about that counter-attack where Tyg Furlong uh, rips the ball to the other side of the pitch Carney follows up with a, with a lovely offload um, so he's offering that side of things as well really good in the air obviously um, and I think he looks like he's going to be in good shape for the World Cup. He's done well to get another central contract and those negotiations, I'd say, were tense enough at times and a bit of sniping in the media and Nusa Fora sniping back. So uh, a bit of fun as well. He's never relied necessarily upon his athleticism. He's always been a very intelligent runner in attack, positionally excellent in defence. So like the fact that he's 33 and isn't quite as sprightly as he was 10 years ago you think of the attacking force he was even in the 2009 Lions tour and he scored the first try in the first test I think or the second test but he still as Murray points out makes line breaks here and there like he mm. runs it always seems as though he has to run a lot harder than his contemporaries in order to make artists but he does do it like I don't think just because he's 33 he's necessarily on the, a, a huge slide or downward spiral yeah I think possibly because of of his history of of have been not a, a running attacking fullback. I think that that gives him more chances. Sometimes the more analysis that gets done, the more defenses watch him. And and uh, yeah, he has made even in the last few weeks he's made some big line breaks and uh, big moments. And I think he was uh, he was with Scott Farley. I think tackling tackling behind the lines. Just you, <laughs> you want to see those grizzled veterans uh, doing their thing at, at this stage of the season because. Uh, yeah, you win nothing with kids except for the 57, uh, 57 kids at Leinster. But uh, yeah, no, it's great to, great to see he's still still going strong. Um, it would have been a surprise, I think, if he did go anywhere. Uh, as long as these negotiations did drag on, I think even when he wasn't on that list of the Leinster renewals, unless he went for a, a one-off contract in Japan or something, it was difficult to really see him making a, a home anywhere else. But yeah. Um, yeah, great to see. I hope there's more than hope more than one year behind him because, yeah, he's a terrific addition to to that team, whether whether he's on the field or or just in the environment, as to say. Um, yeah, everything ever he brings to that that backfield, the whole way it moves around. He's reinvented. I think you did plenty of analysis on him where he's reinvented the way that fullback all works, and 
you can strip away so much backfield because he's there. Spot on. Let's look at uh, the other provinces, then we'll come back to Leinster in a moment. We asked you guys actually at home, where would you like to see your team uh, improve next season? Uh, one of you, Owen Glynn, has um, taken it. Uh, well, apparently we're your team. He says uh, he'd like to see us touch on AIL a little bit more. We'll take that on board. Work on for us yeah. in the summer. Definitely look into it a little bit more next season. Um, who is talking about Connacht? Uh, Martina Galuli. Uh, says nothing my team is the best <laughs> my team is the best that we can be in Connacht uh, but let's we'll start with Connacht because Martina has started us on Connacht um, maybe firstly just to look back on their season as a whole all four provinces obviously making it into the knockout stages of the uh, domestic competition is a sign of progress I think across the board um, were you impressed by the way Connacht kind of reinvigorated themselves this season under Andy Friend? Yeah, it was a perfect marriage of a really positive personality, a real kind of growth mindset and a group of players that weren't enjoying life under Kieran Keane worked out really well. Um, and as you say, back in Champions Cup, that also brings a huge, huge challenge for the province. I think if you're looking for ways for them to improve, it's actually managing what is going to be a far, a far more uh, taxing uh, you know, calendar next season. The Challenge Cup this year was... It was enjoyable to watch because there was young players getting exposed. They were rotating their team and, and giving squad guys a, a lot of opportunity. But obviously, they won't be able to do that next season. So you're going frontliners out every single time in, in the Champions Cup and trying to get a few big results there. That then is a bit of a drag on your Pro 14 challenge. But you're also trying to ensure that you're back in the playoffs again and that you get that consistency there. So building that depth, which we did see to an extent certainly this season because guys got opportunity Um to a level that's sufficient to win Pro 14 games and win, hopefully, Champions Cup games is is, is going to be a real challenge for this group. Um, you know, you, you saw the reliance on guys like Jack Carty for, for good reason, because they were playing such good rugby, but the question now is whether they have the quality to, to balance it on both sides. We've seen other teams, even some of the provinces before, that that challenge is, is is really difficult to master, and that your Pro 14 form can suffer if you're trying to to, to chase the the Champions Cup. It happens in football as well with different competitions, and sometimes you're almost at an advantage not having the Champions Cup because you can go full out in the Pro 14 and focus your your strengths there. And I'm really interested to see how they manage that, and I think knowing Andy Friend, he'll take a very positive outlook on it and, and welcome it and, and embrace it. Yeah, depth is the big thing, isn't it? I mean, and I'm not sure they have enough in there yet for next season. I'm not sure if they're going to bring in more. They've put Paddy McAllister and Tom Daly already set to, to come in. I don't think that's enough for the... They could be fed a real pig of a Champions Cup draw. I mean, you're you're hoping you're hoping for the, with the gods there on that one that they, they get something that doesn't just end up as a punishing six game run because as I say that Challenge Cup over the last few years has been great for them it's it's like a release even in Kieran Keane's first year they had that those struggles of the of the first few uh, first few months really and then the the Challenge Cup came along and they were allowed to go and express themselves and, and get some momentum through that and that kind of almost saved Kieran Keane's season they got to a, a quarter final against Gloucester and uh lost a thriller of a game but um yeah Andy Friend's just done such a, a brilliant job on his first year um really as I say reinvigorating it um realigning everything I think everyone's really very much on on the one page and they know what style of rugby they're trying to play and um yeah you just hope that um they can continue on and build with everything they have because they have such talent in in that back line from Jack Carty out and um yeah, hopefully they just don't get punished for for all their invention and positivity in the in the cruel hard world of the Champions Cup. You even saw probably a bit in the Challenge Cup quarterfinal when they went away to Sail Sharks. They only lost that game mm. twenty ten, but it was one of their poor performances. I, it was a really disappointing night for them. Obviously, a couple of injuries as well, but there was a rotation and and it just didn't. They weren't able to challenge really across the course of that game. They had missed opportunities, I know, but Sail would feel that they really dipped away after half time as well. Yeah, you talk about recruitment and there haven't been high-profile signings. Uh, Stephen Fitzgerald's going to be there full-time. Angus mm. Lloyd, I think, is coming in. They got one of the Aussie Sevens wingers, which is going to be a really interesting 
project is maybe the right word. He's playing in the shoot shield at the moment. I was looking at some of his clips. <laughs> and as we've seen on the seven series, he can definitely finish, but probably a bit of work to do defensively and all positioning. It's a huge leap from being insistent. It is. Yeah. We've seen guys struggle to make that. So there aren't going to be these big high profile signings coming in um, unless there's a bit more movement there. There is a very... Um, there is a very exciting squad with a lot more growth in it, I think, though. Um, even a guy like Jack Hardy, who we, we've, we've often talked about, I think there's more room there. And even you look further down and some academy guys are going to get promoted. You look at Dylan Tierney-Martin for the under-20s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, exciting potential there. It's just a case of you're in the big, bad world of the Champions Cup now, and it's a very different story. And if you're going to get injuries, if you're going to get that balance... Um, it makes life, life really difficult. But what a good problem to have and what a good mm-hmm. problem for Irish rugby to have because you're going to get more guys from Connacht pushing into that Ireland squad as well. Um, so yeah, exciting time. Obviously, a lot of Connacht's planning seems to be medium to long term when you think of the facilities and the stadium expansion and things like that. Is it, uh, this might sound crude, but for the next couple of seasons, is it about slowly adding from the outside and almost hanging tough if you can find that balance between challenging in the Pro 14 and staying in and around the Champions Cup until you get those reinforcements from within with the greater facilities and with the greater, um, I suppose, impetus on that. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that can't be the mindset within the group. It won't be. They'll be obviously trying to win every game. But for us on the outside and probably those further up the ladder in Connacht, I think that will be it. I think they'll be thrilled to get another playoff in the Pro 14 next season as well as potentially a couple of good results in the Champions Cup. I know that sounds unambitious, but that's realistic. If you get two, three seasons of that even, which for Connacht fans, oh, we want to win a trophy potentially, but if you got two, three seasons out, I think it would be a really good return and be a really consistent playoff team. You know, you get back in that mix, you don't know what's going to happen. They'll have learned from losing to Ulster away. They'll have learned from that sale quarterfinal um, and a couple of those bigger games, what that step up that is required. But I, I'd agree with that sentiment that be in the playoffs again and and competing as ferocious as you can in Europe is a good return without being too unambitious. Sean, your own native province, plenty of ambition there. What a difference a year makes. I'd say you've um, enjoyed watching them this season with the with the kind of cloud lifted and uh, a lot of uh, expression that you mentioned with, with Connacht uh, a couple of years ago when they played in the Challenge Cup. Ulster produced it in, uh, on a bigger stage again in the Champions Cup and um, obviously had a very good domestic innings as well semi-final aside yeah it, I mean it was a difficult start to the season Dan McFarlane obviously came in very very late for a head coach because he was tied up with, with Scotland and then they had that torrid night down in Towan Park it was a record loss shout out to poor uh, Johnny Bradley who had just finished his book and I think his opening chapter was about Ulster's record loss at the time pre oh, pre oh. 99 poor Johnny and uh, <laughs> Yeah, then then a new a new record came along, but I mean, again, talk, talking about being clear and having clarity in, in what sort of style you want to play in, and Dan McFarlane has really really brought that to Ulster. And even though they don't have the biggest pack, and they've really had to punch above their weight, you'd say all season long, uh, they've played with ambition, invention, and stripped away of of all those big names that they had in the in the back three. Over the years, uh, likes of Robert Balakoon has really, um, really come in. Mike Lowry really come in and, and hit the ground running. You'd have to say for guys that are twenty, twenty-one, they've uh, yeah, they've been phenomenal. Hope next season you'd just like to see them add a bit more, bit more beef, bit more weight to that pack, and maybe with Jack McGrath and um, Sam Carter coming from the Brumbies, that uh, yeah, they'll they'll get that boost they need. Milasinovic. The, the tight head prop mm. is 130 kg, so you got a <laughs> big bit of beef. I was talking to Donica O'Callan about him, and he said he's a, a just a brilliant athlete, a massive potential. And if they can get him working really hard, that he's got potential to play at, at the top level. That's an exciting project there. He's played both sides of the scrums as well. Um, Matt Faddis is coming in from the Highlanders, who I've been watching for a few years and enjoyed. Very versatile back, very quick, really good finisher. I think the fans will, will take to him, and he's a, a valuable player to have when you've got international guys or guys getting dragged up to Ireland camp whether it's McCloskey or whoever he can he can fit in at 13, 14, 15, 11 um, and will add a, a lot to it the big challenge there I guess is Rory Best is not around anymore mm. Darren Cave's not around anymore so you've lost Rory Best is the heartbeat of Ulster he is 
so influential and I imagine he will still be around and I wouldn't be surprised to see him end up as a director of rugby or something like that in the future but he's not there on the pitch he's not going to be playing anymore Darren Cave was a really really important speaker in the group as well so for them to improve I think it's now this group putting their own stamp of leadership on it mm. the Ian Henderson I, I, I would imagine Rob Herring would he be next in as captain because Hen, Henderson's always away on international duty and yeah so Herring's in and well, too yeah. Though, but yeah It'll be interesting it's, to see the way that goes, but it's a cha- it's an opportunity for them to put their own kind of stamp on it, and and I guess it adds to that sense of renewal and a new Ulster, and it is this speedy style of play, and every player now is is adapted and suited to that. Even Darren Cave was saying he wished he had been a bit younger when he when he got a a, a chance under Dan McFarland. So that's going to be interesting to see who emerges there and, and leads the group forward. You mentioned Michael Larry. I think that's one way that le- that Ulster rather can improve is really making him a real central part of it whether that's a 10 or whether that's a 15 in that kind of Damian McKenzie role that we've mentioned before I think he has just unlimited potential to to open up a game especially when defences are so powerful and strong and his footwork his ability to do something different to to rip up the script I think is riveting to watch and I hope that he becomes a more central hub in the team around the ruck a little bit more using those big runners using the McCluskey and uh, and Luke Marshall, their power on the game, uh, a little bit more intelligently. I'll be, I'll be fascinated to see how he develops. Mm. Amid the thumping they got uh, over in, in Glasgow, it was a nice moment when Mike Lowry got his try. He actually physically pushed Darren Cave in his last ever game for <laughs> Ulster, pushed him out of the way so he could get his, his touchdown. Right? It's my yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> I, do, I do remember earlier in the season when Simon Zebo landed himself in hot water, at least among uh, God, the Twitter release. Was it this season? So long ago. For yeah, showboating? Yeah. <laughs> for, for kind of goading Michael yeah, Larry as he crossed the line. Yeah. I thought it was the biggest compliment he could have paid the kid. Like, there are flashes of Zebo in Larry, I find, in, in the way he plays and just the, the joy in which he mm-hmm. plays. And I thought it was Zebo kind of saying, like, you know, not yet. Like, this is still my <laughs> gig, not necessarily for Ireland, <laughs> yeah. but I, I am the flamboyant, uh, free-spirited Irish uh, attacker, back three attacker. Yeah. And uh, almost as though he, he felt, felt a little bit threatened by this coming force that was Mike Larry. And, um, <laughs> are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It was, uh, yeah, that was, a, that was a moment that said a lot. But I think if Larry hadn't been injured last season, he probably would have been accelerated before this they're very excited about what he can do it's fascinating to see if he is a 10 because for me that's another area they can improve and Billy Burns obviously in his first season I think he will be better year two and it does take time to bet in and build combinations but I felt towards the end of the season that in some of those big games he didn't quite have the influence he had earlier on and his passing game became less effective he didn't quite seem to be taking the ball to the line as much of course Bill Johnson is going up there as well and that's Mm. a fascinating part of it a guy who Wow, Munster were so excited about him and probably were until very recently and just didn't happen for him. He does have huge potential and I think he needs a a, a nice run of games to to really polish off all the edges around that. But he is a he's a big personality and he's a, a kind of dominant figure, I think, that would love the chance to to grab a team and be their ten, their their kind of be that that figure that Johnny Sexton and Leinster is and and carry it forward. So that contest for places there Johnny McPhillips is still there as well he's kind of fallen away a little bit that's going to be really interesting as well as the captaincy they're two big roles that leadership and, and the guy who's going to be wearing the 10 jersey I think Marcel Coetzee is another one that, that looks right up there in, in the queue to, to take over as captain like uh, so so well respected up there obviously yeah, yeah. a brilliant player brilliant over the ball and uh, has been there much longer than we realised because of because of his injuries um, but yeah, it'd be great to see Bill getting a run um, during the World Cup or just to bet himself in because as uh, as much as Billy Burns' style kind of complements this kind of free-running style Ulster have, have been trying to engender, yeah, a little more, a little more, a surer hand or, or a little more um, steady hand at the tailor mm. might might just get give them a balance. Yeah, they have some exciting parts though. They really do. There's lots to be positive about. Dan McFarland, as well as promoting that style of play he's he is a, a tough man he's a hard personality and he will probably in in hindsight welcome the fact that he has that hammering at the hands of Glasgow to move, move forward with they're into year two of the project now it was a really good year one but he has that um clear gap to make up and, and to motivate his players with so exciting times for them also yeah slightly less exciting times for now down south at Munster we've spoken about them until 
we're blue in the face over the last couple of weeks and the uncertainty with regards to their attacking play but now also off the pitch as well with the departure of several high profile figures Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones included Mm. Um, it's just a a period of uncertainty really which they could have done without and I suppose if you were to offer Johan van Graan a contract extension in the name of stability that they have sorely lacked over the last couple of years the loss of Flannery and Jones kind of puts a kibosh on that because uh, there will be significant upheaval there regardless of who comes in are they any closer Murray to your knowledge of finding the names obviously you reported last week about Graham Rowntree being in Limerick for a couple of chats yeah I haven't heard anything concrete since there's still the kind of same names floating around and um, Noel McNamara's name the under 20s coach is in the mix certainly as well so it'll be interesting to see how quickly that gets done obviously the sooner the better it does look now for, for certain that there's going to be that kind of senior coach that Stuart Lancaster is in, in Leinster. They've been looking for that figure predating Flannery and, and Jones leave, uh, deciding to leave. So that was always going to be the case. They needed a bit more experience in the group. So whether that's Howley or Rowntree or Larkham, all three of those guys could fill that role. Someone who's been through a lot of different things in rugby can allow Van Grand to bounce his ideas off them um, and really give him that support off the pitch in, in planning and contracting and media as well because he's done every single presser this season and um, that'll be a, a big boost for him and obviously the attack coach role is everything for this province now they've got so much good about their play and because we're endlessly focused on their attack you kind of almost overlook that their ability to maul to defend to be viciously competitive in in really big games um so there's loads there to build on if they can get that attack going just a bit of inventiveness, a bit of creativity in the coaching staff. That'd be really, really welcome. Because Van Graan's got attitudes. He's driven a lot of the mauling stuff. They've got clever plays around the back of the line out that, that tend to get them over the gain line on those th- two or three phases. But it's after that. It's after that set piece, that planned attack. And it, it, there's just been nothing there, really. Um, there have been ideas, but it just hasn't come to fruition. And, and that's the key thing for them to improve on. Yeah, I suppose if Ulster shows, Sean, that a year can make all the difference, albeit the cloud hanging over them was entirely different, there probably is no cause for panic on Munster's end. It's just that I think from the perspective of Munster fans, because it's been really a barren run since 2011 and because it looked as though finally there was a modicum of stability there on the coaching side of things, it's almost like having the rug pulled from under you with the departures of these two uh, high-profile figures. Um, Can you see new coaches, whoever they are, coming in and and sort of putting things right immediately, or should Monster fans be a little bit more patient? Is this now kind of more of a two- or three-year project rather than the one-year project they might have had in mind? Yeah, I don't think patience needs to go on for for years now. It um, Munster, even through the bad Rob Rob Penny years, not that Rob, Rob was a fantastic coach, it just didn't work out. But even at that stage, they were getting to European semi-finals. They have a baseline in Munster. They have a, a culture. They have a. It's inbuilt in them to go all the way or or close to all the way in in Europe. So I don't think anyone's going to be panicking for the first six months of the season when they're uh, getting out of out of the pool uh, the question is the hurdle they can't get over is is the business end of the season and I think if, if an attack coach can come in the difficulty is if it's going to be after the World Cup that there is less time then so normally an attack coach co- would come in in July and you'd say okay building 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 and then January February they, they can really kind of show all their work come, come together. If that's after the World Cup, then okay, maybe it is a year two, year two thing. And uh, mm. I'm, I'm suddenly round and, and uh, contradicting where I started. But um, You're panicking me now, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the fact is that they have the personnel. I, I think if you, you continually touch on if they just got Rory Scandal to pass a bit more and play make a bit more, rather than running into walls, then uh, they would be a lot further on down the road to where they need to be in, in that attacking mindset. Um, the creativity has just been sorely lacking. And um, yeah, but but all when everything comes together, when they have their first choice backline on the field, 
they look like they can do damage to anyone. They like they have to see next season as a big opportunity for the reasons you mentioned. I think mm. because Sarri's a lot of their players are going to be with England in the World Cup. Hopefully, for Monsters' point of view, say that they go deep in the thing and and they struggle next season because of that. They've had a lot of international players away. Munster have a chance potentially to to do something. Johan van Graan is trying to build consistency. He's like there's no it's Nick McCarthy coming in next season and that aside it doesn't look like there's going to be any more signings. A couple of academy guys stepping up. So he's trying to build what Saracens have built. Uh, combinations in 9-10. Carberry Murray who we didn't see enough of really together. When we did when they got a run they were really intuitive and played really well off each other. I think of that Gloucester match away where even the pass from Murray to Carberry for his try they just clicked in that moment and it was brilliant. Klein and Byrne if you can build that combo Farrell and, and Scanlon in midfield Whoever is going to be your back three, it looks like they're going to go forward with Mike Haley. I know a lot of fans have been giving him grief, but there's something there. And that cohesion and, and consistency that you build is valuable, even if they're not the world world beaters that, that other sides have. The key thing, again, taking a realistic view on it, they have to get a home semi-final in the Pro 14 next season. They absolutely have to. Are they going to win the Champions Cup next season? I'd, I'd be surprised if they do. Leinster and Saris are probably going to be back up there again. Their players are young enough to, to go forward and compete for a few years. But if they can get that Pro 14 semi-final and get into the decider, I think that would be a huge step for them. Um, get a bit of silverware there. You look at their record this season in the Pro 14 regular season, what they lose, five of their 21 regular season games, losing away to Cardiff Blues. That Scarlet's defeat away from home mm. was really damaging. And They were unbeaten at home, I think, were they? Uh, sorry, away away from home. No, Scar- no, you were, you said it correctly. Sorry, I, I just meant as in all their defeats were away from home. Yeah, yeah. Which- um, away from home yeah where they just slipped up and sometimes people probably weren't even paying that much attention to it all monster loss whatever but those are big moments in the season um, and I think they've got to have that consistency even when Ireland internationals are away that you go away to Scarlets and you win when you've got an opportunity um, because if they get that home semi-final I think they've got a really good chance going in and win, winning silverware so for me that's a, a big area of it um, What you mentioned there about no new signings necessarily coming in has that changed like I remember we were talking about it a couple of weeks ago there was some talk of them looking to to bring in a marquee name possibly in midfield is that just plans have changed yeah it doesn't seem like there's going to be anything Van Grant says now that that's my squad I'm going forward with this I think they did try did we mention Andre Pollard before in the podcast maybe he was um, chatting to him a bit I think Jesse Creel there was a bit of contact nothing serious but they had a quick look at them and some South African links but but from what I from what I know and from what Van Grant says, he's usually quite honest. This is my squad going forward. They got guys coming up from the academy, and and I think that is one positive as well. We've had a lot of doom and gloom over their production line in recent years, but it does seem to be, to be back on track to an extent. You've got a lot of guys in the Ireland under twenties, Craig Casey being the, the kind of shining light of that, and Jonathan Wren. You've Josh Witcherly, a couple other guys who are going to come through from there and hopefully get a bit of game time. And and why not? One of the things I like that he's done is. It looks like he's kind of reducing the size of his squad a bit. You've got, what, seven or eight players leaving. Mm. Duncan Williams, Mike Sherry, those guys who've been really good servants for Munster but are now gone. Um, and he's kind of tightened up his squad a bit. Hopefully that means uh, exposure for younger younger guys at, at times across the season because there is talent there. They probably need to sort out the Limerick schools maybe a little bit, get more out of there. That's probably another one for next season at some stage. But it does look like that, that side of it's going um, pretty positively as well. Let's chat about Leinster then again. Um, obviously, they rounded off the season in impressive fashion. We've probably touched upon it enough where they fell short against Saracens. But if you're to look at next season overall as uh, another European crusade, more so than just a, a fixture against Saracens that may or may not happen, what did they need to do then to, I suppose, maintain their grip on uh, the domestic competition and recapture their glory in Europe. I might start with yourself there, Shawnee. I mean, with Leinster, you're really talking about picking nits, aren't you? Yeah. They, they are, <laughs> it, it has been another fantastic season. We, <laughs> I mean, we were joking that whether this would mark a, an absolute catastrophe if they had have <laughs> lost against Glasgow. But um, yeah, it's it's another fantastic season. Losing the losing Saracens in the final, there's no great shame about that. Winning another Pro 14. You are just looking down at the at the little minuscule things. I think one of our uh, listeners touched on it, the, the passing and uh, the passing game fr- from their centres. I think that's something Gary Ringrose has probably looked back in, on Newcastle and taught him to himself. Um, there was another 
the breakaway with James Lowe, I'm not sure if he could have. The, the scramble defence was probably really good and, and got a lot of covering quickly, but at the time you're wondering, did he did he choose the right time? Did he choose the right angle for, mm. for that pass? Um, and then I think at, we touched on it, the taking penalties, taking penalties when, when the chance is there and then putting points on the board rather than giving this hostage to fortune of, of going after all seven points because... I don't know. Do you think you're now you're not going to get back there in time? And I I think that's what lost them. This the game meant against Saracens in, in Newcastle. The, the Luke McGrath box kick when they could have when they could have uh, called called half time in a comfortable enough lead. And um, yeah, I think really picking nits as I say, but. Um, Roll back in the confidence, uh, yeah, Glenser, just and maybe be a bit if, more, a bit more, more humility, <laughs> and uh, that's what we all. Need if they can just get it right on the day, Sean, I think they could be a serious <laughs> team. This Leinster outfit. Just to go through a couple of uh, what a couple of listeners are saying about Leinster. Um, Leinster, as you alluded to there, Sean, it was uh, Dylan Shannon ninety three on Instagram said Leinster to improve passing game with centres and aggressive defence. Shawnee Mason, Leinster. He says Leinster is his province. Passing speed, quicker ball out wide. There was a couple on Facebook, I think, as well, or possibly Twitter, sorry, Twitter, at, oh, effort of this. <laughs> Ironically, puts great effort into uh, his or her answer, saying, put more of a focus on Ronan Kelleher, Brian Byrne, and Andrew Porter over Tracy and Bent. Kelleher could be amazing, and Byrne is a decer, decent hooker already. Porter is also amazing and would benefit from way more on-pitch time. Get Cullum, or sorry, get Conor O'Brien more pitch time as well. Uh, Stephen Elliott, not the former footballer, says, given Leinster only fell at the final hurdle in Europe, there isn't much to improve upon. Would like to see more creativity in attack, more use of a second playmaker at 15, an improved defensive kicking game. But it is nitpicking, as you oh, say yourself, Sean. There you go. I was actually just stealing his uh, ideas, <laughs> it turned out. I mean, the, the second playmaker is something that, that is a real point. I mean, just probably should have hit on me before uh, Joey Carberry made his RDS return but they they had it got so much joy out of playing him at 15 yeah. last year got, had so much extra options and, and stretch defences and and uh, yeah made, made so much um, line breaks and, and, and gains just by having that extra extra yeah. dimension that he gave them yeah I think Ring Rogues can probably be that player um, he's tended to probably this season he's probably tended to carry more and back his footwork possibly too often. You think of that, obviously, the overlap where he, against Saracens, where he didn't pass. Um, I think he was number four in the top carriers in the whole Champions Cup, which was kind of a surprising stat. Obviously, he's an excellent carrier and his footwork is beyond doubt, but I think he's got the vision and passing game to 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 be a bit of a playmaker. It's possibly more difficult from 13. I think 15 is the role. You saw Alex Good doing it to sublime effect, I thought, in the final, and all season, really. He's been brilliant in that role. It is something they could add. I think they have the passing skill, but I think the biggest lesson for me from the season was just don't abandon the way you can play in, in the in the final, I thought. Well, Jack Conan said, he said, we kind of went away from the Leinster way and they got too obsessed with that physical um, battering approach. I think we've seen so many examples where their skills have been utilised. The Sean Cronin try was one of my favourites of the season where Furlong and Healy set, uh, tee it up rather with their passing skill. That's what Leinster are capable of, um, and even in the, you know, that tough weather conditions, there were glimpses of it against Glasgow. I thought as well. The interesting one now for them is losing a couple more players. Sean O'Brien's gone. Um, Noel Reid, who is under the radar, but he's gone as well. Jack McGrath, obviously as well. They're three really important senior players in different ways. Obviously, Jack Jack McGrath's form wasn't at the very best, and he's fallen away. And Ed Burns emerging. Really interesting to see how he grabs that. Jersey next season, Peter Dooley and himself, they're 24 and 25. Their time to shine now. Noel Reid is an underrated squad player, I think, because it's not just about the big European days and that's why Leinster are so good because a Pro 14 game is massive to them and, and guys gain their opportunities there and, and everyone after the game against Glasgow spoke about the one the ones that weren't there playing that day. Um, exactly that on Noel Reid. There are games in the middle of winter against Dragons during during November when uh, everyone else is away and uh, to see Noel Reid swagger around the pitch and, and he does he gives <laughs> he's lovely to watch yeah. there's so many young players that, that need someone like that that need someone that's played how many Leinster caps 21 games this season even 
this played over 100 alone. times yeah yeah amazing like he gives them so much confidence and even though he's not a high profile figure not a yeah no, probably nobody's like he's not a poster on anyone's wall but but he does in in those dark november nights at home to teams like the dragons and and the kings you know he he brings that team together yeah and the other one obviously is sean o'brien who's um, going, unfortunately going to miss the World Cup he's going to rule out nice way for him to finish lifting that trophy thought it was a classy touch from a Leinster squad who have had a few of those classy touches over over the years in, in terms of guys lifting the trophy the back row will be an interesting one now Dan Levy we don't know how long he's going to be gone um, and by all accounts he's, he's starting to get through that recovery and get those operations and we wish him the best of luck it was interesting that Stuart Lancaster mentioned Scott Penny as being a little Sean O'Brien um, on Saturday before the announcement of the, the injury. But um, they're very excited about his potential. He's still only 19, which is crazy, isn't it? Like He's emerged so strongly this season. Um, he's obviously got his own injury at the moment, but he looks like a really promising prospe- prospect. Van der Fleer and, and Doris and Deegan, these guys come into their own now. And that's, um, that's something Leinster have done really well, is constantly regenerate while, ne- while, while staying competitive at the top level. Um, and they have lost players to other provinces. We mentioned Carberry. They've maybe had some grievances in that regard, but the production line just keeps rolling on and another raft of, of academy players coming through onto senior contracts. Um, there's plenty more talent. Yeah, on, on Penny, very telling that he was ruled out of, of the Under-20 World Cup. I think Leicester have a lot of plans for him early early next season. Um, such a talent, such a just adds real... Um, I don't know momentum, athleticism into that into that back row play and pops up in in the back line. That acts like another center. Um, yeah, really good at bringing attacks on and, and uh, given given the fluidity, I suppose, to a to a team's attack. Mm. One of the other really good things for next season is that Jamison Gibson Park is going to be Irish from August onwards, full on Irish man and qualified to not be a non European player. I think everyone's been waiting for that moment, so that's excellent for them moving forward particularly having lost Nick McCarthy that'll give those younger scrum halves Dio Sullivan and Paddy Patterson a bit of time to to develop on uh, without being maybe exposed to to games that weren't part of their, their long term plan so that's really great for them you mentioned the second playmaker I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Jordan Armour and where he plays he's been excellent on the on the wing in the last couple of weeks I know he had that mistake against Saracens which I felt was a little bit harsh on himself to feel that that, that try was his fault where he, he shot up and in. There was a lot more going on inside him. But he's been excellent and he really is emerging. And we knew that he was had had this huge potential. But whether he got, ends up at 15, which I remember Gervin Dempsey talking about him, this guy's going to be a 15 because he can pass as well. Um, and there's a bit more to him that way. So really fascinating to see how it goes. But long live Rob Carney, he's still there as well. <laughs> Viva Rob. Yeah, listen, they'll be there thereabouts again uh, next season. You'd have to imagine. God, God love them, Leinster. They have they have a lot to work on. <laughs> it's been very um, tough. It's been very we tough. We backed them. We backed them to do that. Hopefully, they the can end. come through it. <laughs> come through all this adversity. Yeah. Great stuff, lads. Let's look ahead then to the World Cup briefly. We won't go through the entire squad, obviously. Um, just a couple of key decisions. Our good friend Andy Dunn was making the case on off the ball during the week for. Jack Conan to start that number eight over CJ Stander. Something you'd agree with, Murray? Yeah, we uh, did a piece on this after the quarterfinal, the Ulster Leinster one, saying that it's going to be very hard for Joe Schmidt to, to ignore him. Um, this has been going for, for a while. His form has just com- continued to pick up. Listen, I think anyone who's watching Leinster closely and the performance that Conan's putting in is going to probably agree that Jack Conan needs to start for Ireland. He's an exceptional player who's fully come into to his own, in, particularly this season. And he just brings so much to the game. He's got great power. He's got a big engine. He's cut out the kind of inconsistency that was a bit plaguing in his game. It's kind of drops the concentration at key times in, in, def, in defence, particularly in games. He's got real energy in that regard. Massive bounce off the ground, making really big contacts consistently. In terms of carrying, the advantage I find that he has is that footwork before contact. He's always looking for a, a soft shoulder. He can offload. You even saw it against Glasgow. Off the back of a scrum on his 22 you know, it's pissing rain and he gets an offload away to Robbie Henshaw. Suddenly Leinster are attacking up the right-hand side, threatening. He brings that little extra element. You saw the offload for, for Adam Burns' try against Ulster as well. Those 
uh, little bits of X Factor. He even had a line-out steal actually against Glasgow, which I can't remember him doing before, but he's worked really hard on that set-piece side of his game as well. And I think it's going to be so hard for Joe Schmidt to resist. I do, however, think that we, you know, that you you think that CJ Sanders' time is over at your peril because he's massive for Ireland, has been there for so many of the big occasions under Schmidt. He's also part of the leadership group, isn't he? So he's a big leader in the group. We saw in the Six Nations that Omani, Stander and Conan played together during games with a, with a bit of a reshuffle twice. So fascinating to see if that's how it ends up, particularly with O'Brien and Levy missing. But uh, Josh van der Fleer's form as well, having come back early. His his two performances to finish the season were just remarkable. Absolutely incredible stuff. So um, that's going to be a fascinating battle. But for me, I think if you're going to win a World Cup, Jack Conan is in the team. If I was to put you on the spot, Sean, on your big podcast debut, the name, <laughs> let's say for the Scotland game in the pool, who does Joe, and let's say of the back row forwards available and fit now, uh, who does Joe Schmidt pick out of that group of Omani, Stander, Conan, Van der Fleer, etc.? I'm glad you asked me that, Kev. Um <laughs> I mean, even looking now, squeezing all the back rows into a 31-man squad is already looking difficult, even even with Sean O'Brien, Dan Levy gone. you're look, it's Basically, if you're saying it's a toss-up between CJ and, um, and Jack Conan, then you're left with one space after after you include Peter O'Mahony. Uh, you're left with a space for either Jordy Murphy or Reese Ruddock in, in the squad if you're going with five back rows, which we did for the last World Cup. So first game against Scotland. Um, yeah, I think Conan, Conan, Josh van der Fleer and Peter Romani. I think it's it's coming big, close big to that. Ball. There's, uh, there's a lot of rugby to be played, of course, for four big uh, August friendlies to, yeah. uh, to hopefully come through unscathed. And, <laughs> Jesus, uh, yeah, we'll have none left by the end of no, those. Uh, <laughs> no Tommy O'Donnells or Jordan Murphy hor- horror injuries this hmm. time around, touch wood. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think as things stand, the way the, the form has gone, both through the Six Nations and now, I think, um, yeah, Conan O'Mahony and Josh van der Fleer. Can, can I ask a question that will doubtless royal our friends from Munster? Is Peter O'Mahony's place in that back row guaranteed? I would say on very recent um, form, well, there's nothing to that would suggest he should be guaranteed a place in that back row. There's no, I suppose there's no guarantees for anyone. Well, we know that's probably not true. I think he'll, <laughs> I think he'll definitely be first choice player for Ireland the World Cup. Yeah, he's a, he's the vice captain. He is, like, he influences games, and it's, it's hard to quantify, or even you know, it's hard to put in numbers what he does in games because one of his moments can be such a momentum shifter, and that's a valuable aspect of it and and also his his personality he is a bit of a force in that regard he's a big presence around the group I think he'll be starting yeah Reese Roddick has been just phenomenal though and there is there is the fact that Ireland start with two two kind of Scotland Japan they look like the tougher fixtures and then you would imagine that he'll have a different team for the next couple of games potentially filtering in and out some of his kind of perceived frontline players so everyone will have a big role to play in that regard but Roddick's done everything that he could really he's physically dominated games um, and his work rate again has gone up up uh, through, through the roof he's also a bit of a leader as well so he's got good options but I definitely think Omani will be starting and if you ask me I think Sander will be starting as well in the first game I don't think Joe Schmidt will um, just discard him like that um, we talked about cohesion combinations Joe Schmidt's a big believer in that and he does not want just to be swayed by recent form he's got a lot of faith in guys who've delivered for him and CJ Sander has definitely done that what about then at second row? We can take, I think, as guaranteed that James Ryan, if fit, will start. <laughs> it's just phenomenal. It's just, it's laughable at this stage. 28 yeah. tackles and 12 carries and just relentless. It's incredible. Inspired playing at a Celtic Park, the home of his other team. But who joins him then at lock if, well, obviously we firstly, you, Devin Toner is injured at the moment. Um, Again, like, does it go back to sort of like guys with credit in the bank from having played uh, so well under Schmidt in the past, or really, will really, are there other options there, like where somebody could in? Like, Locke has been weird anyway because we've had in- regular injuries yeah. that have determined who plays kind of week in on a weekly basis, rather. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you probably always for the last two, three years, maybe you've kind of expected that Ian Henderson is going to take that. 
I think it is Devin Toner's slot, and that Ian Henderson was going to be the one to to lead the line out and uh, and drive that on. But Devin Toner just hasn't gone away, and he's been remarkably consistent. And his line out cam has been just really important. I don't think any of the other callers have that yet. I don't think Henderson has it. Um, Toner's probably got the advantage of taking it the least seriously. He probably actually does less analysis than all of them now, um, but he just has that uh, ability to to win ball cleanly, and that is huge for Joe Schmidt's team. I don't I don't see the philosophy of Schmidt's approach changing too much in the in the World Cup. I can't see how it happens with four warm up games to implement big changes. So the line out is going to be huge as it is for every team. Um, and to call that it's so hard to leave Henderson out because he's such a destructive presence like mm. choke tackling stripping ball carrying he can jackal but um, if Devin Toner can get fit again which is uh, I guess one one unknown but uh, I think him and Ryan probably start that first game I can see a scenario where he, he goes because it's Scotland because the tempo they play at and, and the, the mobility they have all around the park I can see him going with Henderson and Ryan in that first game and then yeah. saving Dev for Probably South Africa for the for the big the big, the big boys coming down the <laughs> yeah. road. It's yeah, it's one of, one of many interesting selection decisions you can talk about. Um, but it is going to be a strong squad, even with a couple of injuries. Like they're going to go in in really good shape. Um, really interesting to see how he whittles it down and and exactly who fills what roles. You know how many nines, how many tens, how many back threes. That's the real question marks for him now at the moment. I guess you have in his mind, but. It's not long until he has to make those decisions. They're back in for preseason. I think it's the 16th of June, so uh, a very short break. <laughs> and then you, you get into it. They have camps down in Galway and Limerick, I think, in July. Mm-hmm. First game is 10th of August against Italy, and, and you're into it already. It's really exciting that it's so close, to be honest. But um, I think the players will have a nice couple of weeks before they get into the most intense Joe Schmidt they've ever seen. Uh, David Nussevore mentioned that, mentioned that he's already fully in Joe mode. Oh no. So um, <laughs> it's going to be a, a hectic few months. Joe mode does sound ominous. Does sound like uh, anyone should be in that for any extended length of time. Never go full Joe. <laughs> Bearing in mind that he is unlikely to change much, you reckon. And I think all logic and all <laughs> his entire history of, of coaching the Ireland team would suggest that. Then are we even right to be excited by this World Cup because okay enough time has elapsed since the Six Nations where we're no longer feeling so glum we've just watched an Irish province win the the Pro 14 and we've seen another um, get to uh, sorry we've seen the same Irish province get to a European final we've had Connacht and Ulster and Munster in various semi-finals as well but like we were comprehensively beaten by England we're absolutely blown away by Wales if we don't change much are we in danger of just being kind of dinosaurs by the time we get there? This is all very negative, Gav. I mean, th- th- this we <laughs> and had, we will catch you. We had a, a review. At the start of the World we had Cup. a review of we're, we're touching on a review of the season, and uh, this is the same season that we were the best team in the world after beating the All Blacks. You know. Oh, so remember that. that. Remember that. Yeah, that does seem like it, a long time ago. Fair enough. We played five internationals since, uh, <laughs> or five or six internationals since, and everything seems to have gone down the pan. But. Uh, are you calling for more positivity from me, Sean? <laughs> a bit of a PR job. I, no, yeah, I think, I think your concern. I think your concern is fair. I think um, at the back of mind, you'll have that doubt as well. Like there will obviously be new elements to it. I yeah. think there will be reward for. Like Ireland can be really creative. We we shouldn't just have this completely defined view of how they play. Some of the stuff off set piece. I know that's not everyone's cup of tea. I know everyone wants to play really exciting phase play, counter attacking rugby, but. Some of the stuff they do, like say that Jacob Stockdale try against the All Blacks, is really inventive and um, really innovative. So I think they'll have that side to it. I think they'll have Johnny Sexton in really good form. I think Conor Murray will hit a peak there, having come back from a, a really tough injury and got through the season. Uh, Rob Carney again looks like he's only growing in fitness. Um, and there's there's so much reason to be excited about what is one of the strongest squads in the tournament without a doubt and one of the greatest coaching minds there have ever been really so there's plenty of reason to be optimistic there you mentioned Conan's form guys like that pushing others as well um, but I do think there'll be reward for the team who can find those little strokes of genius and innovation because this is more so than any other World Cup uh, one that's going to be seeing dominant defences that's the biggest change in the game in the last 10 years so organised so difficult to break down and whoever has that little bit of a I don't know genie bit of magic that they can produce is going to get rewarded I think 
There you go, Sean. Some positivity for Murray. Thanks very much, Murray. Thanks <laughs> for the positivity. I'm just excited. I mean, like, I get to go to Japan for a few weeks and watch rugby, so I'm just excited. I'm excited to Skype you from here, Murray, <laughs> and continue the uh, podcast. That's pretty much all we've got time for for the season, gents. Will I ask you for a World Cup prediction, actually, while we're here? We will be coming I back, obviously, that. to chat about the World Cup a little bit closer to the date. But if we were to look at it from, what date is it? The 27th of May. God. Who to are you picking? World Cup. Who are you, yeah, who are you picking to win the World Cup? To win the World Cup, I'll say England. My God. The silence is deafening. I mean, he. Well, I should have I should have ended on the positive note. Yeah, I've ruined it now. It would have been great. Sending people away with a sour taste for months. My call for positivity is, is purely based on my negative outlook. That we're, <laughs> and we're going to go crash out the quarterfinals again in yeah. South Africa. Or Which New, is or not. New Zealand. Certainly not impossible. The Scotland game goes, but uh, um, win the World Cup. I'm going to be very boring and say New Zealand because they're the most inventive team and uh, they have more genies, I think, than... More genies in the bottle. More bottle. More bottle, maybe. Maybe. And very finally, where Ireland going to... How far will Ireland progress in the tournament, Sean? Still the quarterfinal. I'm afraid. (laughs) afraid. Sorry to break this day, but uh, Razzie's coming. Razzie's coming back and he's going to haunt us. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Murray... I t- yeah, I think everyone really loves Razzie, but like, don't underestimate Joe Schmidt. I think Ireland will get to their first semi-final and then go out at that stage and that will be progress. I think people will be happy. But yeah, I think they're going to break that grass, grass, that glass ceiling. Excellent. Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thanks for the positive. Uh, yeah, thanks again for rescuing us there, Murray, with a bit of positivity. Uh, listen, I know they'll be tuned in from the beach, so just want to take this opportunity to voice our collective appreciation for our two analytical stalwarts uh, well yourselves as well gents Sean and Murray <laughs> but also Andy Dunn and Bernard Jackman uh, who've given so much of the podcast all season for Brian and the lads as well down at Headstuff Studio who helped us until we got our own place up and running here I uh, just want to say thanks as well to Connor Quinn who sent us a lovely email about the podcast yesterday I won't read that out because obviously we're too humble for that but uh, <laughs> we might to, cry yeah but to the many thousands of you who tune into this chart topping podcast with its thoroughly deserved five star rating on itunes <laughs> uh, sincere thanks and all seriously uh murray and i we will often say that we're very fortunate to have a kind of a listenership that's very engaged and yeah. involved and everybody's suggestions and questions have added so much to the show this season and we look forward to working with you all again in a few months time so for now uh, for ryan for sean for murray Andy Birch and our producer the magic man Owen Luke who never really gets a mention have a super summer we will catch you all very soon in a couple of weeks Uh, until then take it easy bye